Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, we as a church believe that is actually true. Not just words that we sing because it's a cool tune, but uh, Christ is our best thought. Christ is the best thing that we have ever experienced, the best thing we could know, and the best thing we could tell you about. And so we center our lives on Him. And uh, one of the things we want to do is we want to be a people of prayer. And in that, we want to come and seek the Lord because He is our best thought. And He is the thing that centers us in the midst of a chaotic world. He is the one that calms us in the midst of our anxieties. He's the one that reminds us that we are loved even when we're unlovable. Uh, And some of you are unlovable. I know you don't realize that, but you are. Your spouses could tell you. Um, But we all struggle. We all stub our toe and we all fall down. And we need the Lord to remind us of his great love and his grace and his mercy. But we also need to be reminded of his holiness and his sovereignty and his power and his strength over all the circumstances of our lives and in our world. And so we want to be a people of prayer. I said this last week, that in the midst of a world where um, we, we, we've experienced just one shooting after another after another, and uh, I, I mentioned that last week, and then we had one in Tulsa right afterwards. And, and it hit even closer to home in some ways. And friends, our world's a mess. Uh, I said last week that we're in a spiritual famine we are in a crisis of people that are spiritually malnourished and they don't have the, the, the soul-giving, life-giving stuff of the Lord. The, the Lord is not the best thought to many of the people in our world. And so we are going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord and ask Him to ask Him for a movement, a movement of the Lord that would, that would be at work in, in the midst of our world, in the midst of um, churches that cover up abuse in the midst of people that fall down and make mistakes and don't repent, in the midst of people that commit awful, evil atrocities, in the midst of struggle in our world, we are going to seek the Lord, and we're going to ask the Lord to do work in us. We're going, to, we're, we're going to, as a church, lean in and double down on the things that we're about as a mission to help people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ, because that's the only thing that's truly going to solve some of the, the difficulties of our world. And so I told you last week we're going to begin to pray. And so I want to tell you today when we're going to do that. Um, We're going to start meeting at our building, uh, the building we purchased in downtown Edmond. And we're going to begin meeting there. And we we want that building to be a house of prayer for all peoples. And so we're going to begin to meet down there two times a week. And if these don't work for you, uh, you're welcome to stop by the building and pray anytime you want. You guys realize that? Like you don't need my permission to like just go pull over in the parking lot and pray. Uh, this week I was, uh, I'd forgotten to eat lunch. I ran through a drive-thru real quick and I ended up going and just sitting in front of the building in my car, uh, down in a burger and, and just praying and asking the Lord to do work in our city. And you guys can do that anytime you want. You don't need anyone's permission. You don't need a group. But as a people, we're going to commit ourselves to pray. And so on uh, Tuesdays from 7 to 8 in the morning, from Thursdays from 12 to 1, uh, kind of right at noontime, um, we're just going to meet at the building 
over the, the course of the summer, and we're just going to pray and ask the Lord to do a good work. And then today, I actually want to pray for two things. One of the things we want to do is uh, not just pray, but we want to pray and then go serve and actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so two ways we're trying to do that as a church. One more internationally is we've got, uh, we had a, a mission trip to Ecuador that was planned that was supposed to leave this week. We actually had to cancel that trip. But I still want to pray for our friends down in Ecuador. We had um, uh, just things going on in that country, um, gang violence, but also union strikes and different things that um, we heard back from our people on the ground, the Ecuadorians that told us, you guys can't come right now. And so we're having to wait. And we hate that because we, our, our team really wanted to be there. Um, and we'll reschedule that and we'll go again um, sometime in the future. But we want to go ahead and pray uh, for our friends down in Ecuador. And then the other one is Restore OKC. And so right here locally, one of the ways we're trying to serve our city is through a ministry called Restore OKC. And they've got a work day this next Saturday. And so we want to pray for them and pray for that work day. But we also want to roll out and go serve serve our city and serve um, people that have needs here within our city just to be a blessing in the name of Jesus. So uh, would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Father, it feels heavy, just being honest, in our world right now through the, the just senseless tragedy one after another after another. And Father, uh, there are times we look at our world and we want to throw up our hands and we scream, how long, Lord? How long will will people take out their anger in ridiculous ways? Father, how long will the brokenness of this world continue to ravage lives and take the lives of children? Father, how long will we endure? Father, would you, would you send your son Jesus back to restore, to make all things new? And yet, Father, we trust you in the middle of that. We trust you in the midst of sorrows. We trust you in the midst of even the hospital uh, room that I was in last night with one of our members whose health continues to decline. And Father, we see the brokenness of our world and, and we cry out, how long? And yet, Father, in the middle of it, we trust you. And we come to you and we believe and we, we announce that you are a good Father who loves his children and cares for us and has made a way for us to be in a, in a forever relationship with you through Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. Father, help us to shine the light of Christ through uh, good works of service so that people would glorify you, our Father in heaven. Father, I pray for our friends in Ecuador. Father, would you sustain them in this time? Father, in the craziness of the last two years and the havoc that a pandemic's wreaked in that country and the turmoil that economic crisis continues to wreak in that country, Father, we pray that you provide for our friends, that you provide for their needs, provide for their ministries. Uh, that you'd raise up new people to, to invest in those places. And Father, as we're locked out and we can't get there, Father, would you send servants from within the country uh, to be a blessing to those ministries and to further the work and the mission that you are doing uh, through great people in Ecuador. And Father, I pray for Restore OKC for our work day next weekend. Father, I pray that there be joy and there be a life-giving sense of service. And Father, that, you, that you'd send people into the city to just be a blessing, to give freely away of the generosity as we've been freely given by Jesus' new life. Father, we give life to others through our service. Father, I pray all these things in the name of Christ and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's jump into the Word here a little bit today. We are in the book of Proverbs. And so if you want to look at Proverbs, it's kind of right in the middle of your Bible, pretty close there. So if you don't know your way around, flip to the middle and kind of go back and forth a little bit. I bet you find it. 
Uh, Proverbs is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and uh, there's these great verses in the Bible that, uh, that I remember memorizing when I was a little kid, and that you hear quoted oftentimes, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, we, we hear these verses and we build our lives on them and we hold on to those as truths that we can trust. Uh, but as you move through Proverbs, there's also these funny verses like, uh, like a, gold pi- a gold ring and a pig snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Um, I love that verse. I think it's hilarious. I think it's just funny to me that that's in the Bible. It's like beauty is wasted on someone who's dumb. Uh, like if you have no wisdom, if you have no discretion, if you have no sense of life, what good is it to be beautiful on the outside if you're just going to go make a mess of your life? Beauty doesn't fix that, right? But there needs to be an internal beauty that comes from that. Uh, the sluggard says, uh, Proverbs says, the sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets, which just seems like a really weird verse, right? Uh, what, what's the point Proverbs is making? Here's the thing, you know people like this in your life. Do you know people that create drama everywhere they go? That's what this is talking about. We're talking about the slugger. It's talking about someone who's, uh, who's a foolish person. And this is a person who, they won't ever do anything. They just create drama. You have friends like this. Like friends, you, you need, they're, they're so-called friends, but you can't ever trust them to be kind of what they're supposed to be as a friend because there's always just some kind of crazy drama. And that's what this person is. It's a person who has a task or responsibility that they're supposed to fulfill, but instead they go, there's a lion in the streets, I'm gonna die. And so they don't wanna actually do anything. And uh, some of you have employees like this, right? Like every time you got a project or a deadline or something you gotta do, they're like, there's something crazy that's going on in my life, I can't get to the finish line. And they don't make good employees. And this is the realm that Proverbs deals in. It deals in the nitty gritty stuff of life. The, the kind of everyday stuff that, that oftentimes when, when you think about the Bible, you think about the law, you think about the moral code and the, the, the rules and the things that, that it says, this is how you're supposed to live and uh, you know, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not, you know, so we get the, the kind of thou shalt nots of the law. We get the prophets that, that, that kind of exclaim and call us to obedience in the Old Testament and call us to trust the Lord and call us to, to walk with the Lord and repent of our, our wrongful ways and turn to the right ways and Proverbs kind of steps into this place that, that, that's a little bit messier than that. Like it doesn't fit into the necessarily the right and wrong, but it fits into kind of the nuances of life, of just how is it that, that you're called to live in a way that, 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 honors, that honors God and it makes you a good employee, that makes you a good spouse, that makes you a good friend, that teaches you how it is that you can be a noble, honorable person in the world. And Proverbs steps in and, and, and helps us navigate some of those kind of questions of, how does this really work itself out, right? Uh, because the law of God doesn't tell you which job to take. You need wisdom for that. The law of God didn't tell you how to, how to navigate some relational tension with someone necessarily. It says you need to resolve tension, but it takes wisdom to know how to step into that and navigate those things, to, to help your kid mature and move from kind of childhood up through adulthood is gonna require some wisdom as you try to sort of guide and you pray a lot and you try to guide and then you pray some more because you know you can't handle it all, but it, it requires some wisdom to know how to navigate those things. To navigate a world like the one we live in is gonna require some wisdom. Um, and so I love this book. Uh, to be honest, I've probably read Proverbs more than any other book of the Bible. 
when I was about 12 years old, someone told me that there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs and there's 31 days in most months. And so if you just take whatever day of the month it is, the seventh day of the month and read chapter seven, the eighth day of the month and read chapter eight, you can just keep reading through this thing. And I began to do that and began to just soak myself in this book. And I continually fell in love with it. It's full of uh, practical wisdom for living in the real world. But it's also more than just little tidbits and tips for living. I think sometimes we dismiss Proverbs as, oh, it's just kind of some nice advice for people that are summed up in these pithy little statements. But it, it really is more than that. We, get, uh, we have a world full of pithy sayings, like a penny saved is the early bird. So you know these things. And we get these things from Benjamin Franklin and Steve Jobs and Brené Brown and uh, these wise people in the world that throw these things out and they kind of guide us in, in life. And they're helpful advice, but they're not necessarily the same as the Proverbs of the Bible. When the Bible talks about Proverbs and what this book talks about, it's talking about learning wisdom that's God-focused and God-given. That's ultimately about learning how to live under the care of God and under the guidance of God. And so there's something that's even bigger here. And, and so friends, to live well and honorably, to navigate the nuances of uh, your relationships and experiences in life, to make wise decisions that add up to a good life, these things only, by committing, only come from committing to God and committing to God's ways. And so we need to learn how to live and how to walk under him. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. If you want to follow along your Bible, uh, the book of Proverbs is broken into two main sections. Chapters one through nine are kind of these longer, actually, poems. And so each chapter there is a, is a poem that uh, really deals with a broader theme of wisdom versus folly. And in some ways, uh, Proverbs can be summed up in the question of, is this wise or is it stupid? Is it wise or foolish? And that's kind of the way the book presents itself. And so you get chapters one through nine, and it presents this kind of lady wisdom who's calling out to you to trust in the way of the wise. And then you have Lady Folly who's calling out to you to run headlong into whatever it is you want to do and whatever it is the world calls you to do and ignore the wisdom from God. And so you have these two kind of polar opposites. And so chapters one to nine set up this, uh, this kind of back and forth between wisdom and folly in this world. And then when you go to the rest of the book from chapters 10 to the end, it really begins to just um, to work through more individual Proverbs. So most, of, uh, most Proverbs are just a verse or, two, or, or a couple of verses, and it just gives you one after another, and there's different themes that emerge and different sections that emerge, but really they're just one thing after another that you have to kind of absorb and take into to understand what the life of the wise really looks like. So we're going to start off here in chapter 1. It seems like a reasonable place to start. Uh, read with me in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as you jump into this book, verse 1 really gives you the title. It's Proverbs. And it's, it seats it, though, and this is not just kind of a throwaway, but it seats it as the Proverbs of Solomon, 
son of David, king of Israel. And what it's saying is that these Proverbs are not just sort of collected sayings, although it follows the form. Uh, a lot of Egyptian Proverbs existed, and so there were Proverbs in Egypt that followed and, and looked very similar in some ways to these. And what the Bible's saying in this is, these are Proverbs that are, are similar in that, but it takes that cultural way of, of communication that you saw in that world and, and captures it and says, we're going to give you these, but these are Proverbs that came from the God of Israel. These are situated in the history of a nation. God grabs himself a people and he called a people to follow him and he trained up a people in that. And in, so, in doing so, he placed a king over Israel to help guide them. And these are Proverbs that came within that context and from the king Solomon, whom the scriptures say was a wise man. And you get to verses two to six, and it's gonna really unfold kind of the purposes or goals of the book of Proverbs. And you have all these phrases and these verbs that show up. It says, to know, to understand, to receive instruction, to give prudence to the simple, to, uh, to understand a proverb and to understand the whys and the riddles. Um, it, it's interesting the language that shows up and how often it's talking about this kind of growing in knowledge, but it's not just head knowledge. This isn't just absorbing data points and, and accumulating a lot of information. Every time the scripture talks about us growing in knowledge, it's actually talking about us incorporating that into the course of our life. And so that knowledge isn't just information, it's actually transformation that builds our character, that builds our behavior, that builds our relationships, that builds our interaction with other people around us. And so and it starts off and it says to know, to understand. It's talking about growing not just in kind of lots of data points or information, but growing in wisdom for life that's incorporated into how you actually live. Notice it also says to receive instruction. Uh, how many of you love to receive instruction? Teenagers, is that your favorite thing? Like for someone to tell you what to do? Like you wake up every day and like, would someone just tell me what to do all day long? Like, no, most of my, you know, my kids are typically like, I want to go, you know, I want to go get on get on my xbox and i want to go do my thing and you're like hey could you take the trash out and they're like no i'm busy right because we want to run our and do our own thing but then you have to be taught how it is that we need to live um, teenagers by the way that's true your parents too they don't really like being told what to do but they have to uh, and, and it, it works itself out in all kinds of ways but you notice it has to do with two different things one it has to do with our understanding of the world how does the world work well, how do relationships work in our world? How does work work in a world? How does laziness versus, uh, versus diligence work? How, does, how do we handle wealth? How do we handle uh, the, the, the difficulties and the, the lusts and the desires of our heart? How do we navigate those waters? And so it deals with kind of understanding the world and wisdom and insight into the way the world truly works. But then it also deals with our behavior and our character and how we live. You notice it talks about righteousness, justice, equity or fairness. It's talking about how do we relate to one another in terms of our, our connection to those around us and in our community, our motives, our honor and nobility in life. Do you notice it's something that needs to be received from the outside? And so that means that there's a choice that we make. You notice that it says, let the wise hear. Let him who understands obtain guidance, meaning you can, you can choose not to hear. Um, any of you experience that in life? Like, you go back and you're like, we've had this conversation. And they're like, I don't remember you saying that at all. Like, have you, have you finished the dishes yet? You didn't tell me to do the dishes. Like, I told you four times. 
right? Like I saw something that was funny this week, and it was a, a meme that, that a friend sent me, and it was a husband and wife, and uh, it was, the, the husband was standing there, and he's like, I don't think we ever talked about this. And she said, I told you seven times, right? Uh, wives, can you relate? Like I told you about this event we were going to go to at this time and it was on the calendar. It, like I did everything I could possibly do and you just didn't hear. There's an ability we have as humans to, to, to have words come into our ears, but somehow not hear them, right? So what is it that Proverbs says? Let the wise person hear, meaning let him, him or her actually hear. Let, let the words not just go, but actually sink in. And, and make a difference. And so he says, when that happens, the one who understands will actually obtain guidance. Like you'll receive guidance and direction for your steps of your life and understanding how it is that you need to live. Uh, what's the point that Proverbs is making? It's saying that we have a choice. You realize you have a choice every day when you wake up that you can listen to the Lord or you can turn a deaf ear to the Lord. Um, Every, every day we have, we have an opportunity that's in front of us. And all of this, uh, and ultimately we can receive guidance or we can reject it. And all this builds up to verse seven. Look in verse seven. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And verse seven really gives us the overall theme of the book of Proverbs. This is the, the motto or the slogan. This is kind of the phrase that pays in the, book of, uh, in the book of Proverbs that we're to understand. This is what it's ultimately about. It is the fear of the Lord begins with wisdom. It provides a theological foundation for the book, meaning the book doesn't, it goes beyond just kind of good advice for how it is you can be a good employee. But ultimately, this is about our spiritual life. It's about our relationship with God. And so it's grounded and centered in that. And Solomon says the starting place for a wise life begins with a relationship with God. Just, just give you a tip here. You're probably not going to hear that at most universities in the world. Like when you go sit in a class, they're probably not going to start and say, okay, I want to teach you in the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of my instruction for you begins with your fear of the Lord. Because that's not the message that we receive in our world. And yet that's the message that Proverbs gives us is the, 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 the path, the doorway, the access point to true wisdom for life begins the starting place is in a relationship with the Lord. As, I, as our creator has, has wired us in our hearts and he's created us in certain ways and placed us in a world that operates according to his plan and according to his design, we need to go to him to receive instruction so that we might know and understand the way the world works and how it is that we're to live within it. Uh, it's in, <clears throat> interesting that the Bible uh, knowledge is a relationship that depends on revelation from God and always goes beyond information to transformation of who we are because um, we become worshipers of him. Friends, can I say this to those of you who maybe you're not a believer? Maybe you're here today and you're kind of rolling your eyes going, I'm not sure I really need all this. I'm not sure I really believe all this. I'm not sure what I want. This is good news for you because it means that you can, you, you can place your faith in Christ. You can place your faith in the God of the Bible and you can find a starting place to build a life that's grounded in the knowledge of God and in his wisdom. Uh, the Bible says that there's this idea called grace that we talk about all the time. 
And it's that even though we've all gone our own way, and we've all run our own direction, we can stop and we can turn and trust the Lord. And God will always receive us back because the Lord, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. His love extends to us. And so if we simply trust him, we can start over. And some of us need to start over. We've run headlong in life and maybe we've followed promises that didn't deliver. We've believed things and we've taken on things that had the appearance of knowledge, but they didn't actually lead us to a place of life-giving, soul-nourishing, flourishing that God designed for us. And so we need to come and we need to start over. And this is a great place to start, is in a relationship with God. And maybe your step today is just to trust him for the first time and say, I want to build a life that's built on the God who created me. So it's important for us to talk about the nature of our relationship with God. You notice in verse 7, the word Lord, and and maybe in your Bibles it's this way, maybe it's not. Typically it's done this way, is the the word Lord there is in all capital letters. And I don't know if you see that in in your version of the Bible. There's a reason why that is. There's two different words that that we translate as Lord. One is kind of a general word that means God or kind of the sovereign ruler of the universe. And then there's one that is actually a covenant name that God revealed of himself. The name is Yahweh or the name is I am who I am. And so this is a, a verse or a term, a word that, that's a name that God revealed. And back in Exodus in the burning bush, and you don't have to look here, but, but God revealed himself to Moses and showed up in the form of a burning bush. And as he did, he, uh, Moses said to, he says, well, who should I say sent me? And he said, what, what, is, what is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. The word there is Yahweh. The word there is what is translated in your Bibles, all capital Lord. And God said, when, when you go to rescue, the, rescue my people and save my people, tell them, I am sent you. It's fascinating that God's name is a sentence. And the reason is God can't be summed up in our finite minds in, in a simple name. And God's something grander than, than Pete or Susie. And so God says, I am who I am, meaning I'm not definable by you. I define for myself whoever I am. I am a sovereign who, who is beyond your understanding. And so I will be whoever I will be. Meaning uh, that, that he's the one who's in charge. And he says, tell the people of Israel, I am has sent you. The Lord, the God of your father, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, God says. And so when it says the fear of I am, is the beginning of wisdom. It's saying the fear of the God of the Bible is where we start to enter into this realm of what true knowledge looks like. And so we're to understand what this means, that it means I am. Uh, Now, this is meant to give us a sense of awe at who God is. It's meant to give us a sense of astonishment at how big God is. Uh, See, because we we, we are finite beings, And here's the thing, that you are made in the image of God, which means, and I hope you know this, you're remarkable. You're unique. There is no one else on the planet just like you. God knit you together when you were in a womb, and you bear a fingerprint of the Almighty in who you are, which means you're of of incredible value and worth. 
And no person on this planet will ever exhaust the knowledge of everything that's going on in you and everything that makes, who you, makes you who you are and every bit of the experiences of life that you've got in you. No one will ever exhaust and know everything it is to know about who you are. You are made in the image of God. Now, as strong as that is, can I just tell you, that is the most infinitesimal fraction of the infinite nature of who God is that you could ever imagine. You take the mystery and the glory and the beauty of a human being, and then you blow it up to an infinite degree, and that's the awe that we're meant to have with God. And God says, I am who I am. I'm not definable by you. I define myself for myself. There is no source outside of God. God God creates of himself. We were created. We were made. There was a time when you and I didn't exist. God's always existed. And so he says, I am who I am. And so you want to enter into this realm of a wise life? He says the starting place is fear, awe, astonishment at who God is. That's how we begin in this. And it's important for that. To fear God is to stand in awe of him or to live with a sense of amazement at who God is. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not this kind of shivering, shadowy thing of fear. It's this more a sense of awe, of worship, of just acknowledging the greatness of who he is. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see what is above you. It's a good word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the reorientation of our lives under God's grandeur and under God's guidance and God's direction. That's what we're about. Now, there's another side to this. The fear of the Lord leads to knowledge of the way of the wise, but the rejection of the Lord leads to foolishness. Notice the second part of verse 7. What's it say? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, when you think about Proverbs, there's an interesting thing we'll see as we kind of unpack the book of Proverbs, that oftentimes Proverbs will have two lines, and the first line and the second line work together in tandem. Sometimes the first line will make a statement, and the second line will expand on it, and so it'll be like, this, it'll make a strong statement, then it'll actually grow and, and make, it, make it even bigger and clarify it in, in the second line. Other times it'll start with the first line and the second line will actually contradict or contrast or show the opposite of something in order to help you understand the first line even better, right? So this, is, this verse is a contrast. And so the, the second line of verse seven is actually a contrast with the first line and it's meant, they're meant to play off of each other. And so in, uh, in this one, the, the fool is the one who's too prideful to trust the Lord and he rejects accepting the wisdom that comes from God. And so it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, most people don't see the rejection of wisdom and instruction as a rejection of God. But if God is the access point or the starting point to trust, um, to, to grow in wisdom and knowledge, then to reject wisdom and knowledge is actually to reject God. And that's the point that, that Solomon's making here in this verse. He wants us to understand it. I love the way uh, the message version translates it. It says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. 
So to refuse to bow down to the Lord is to refuse to be wise. And so, and, and ultimately that's seated in a prideful heart. And we'll unpack more of this as we walk through, as we walk through Proverbs. But the difference here is this, this dance between a prideful heart, which leads to foolishness, and a humble heart, which if we receive instruction from the Lord and we stand in awe of him and receive guidance from him, leads us down the way of the wise. Now we see this choice play out again, or later in chapter 1. I want to jump over to verse 20. Uh, and, and I'll throw this up on the screen, but uh, we're going to jump, jump just a little ahead in the chapter. And here we get to a place where uh, Proverbs actually gives a personification of wisdom, meaning it takes wisdom and it, it talks about wisdom in the form of, uh, of woman wisdom or lady wisdom. And it's this, this wise woman who's personified as wisdom, calling out to people and offering her wisdom to others. And so in verse 20, it says, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit of wisdom to you, and I will make known words to you. Now, so Lady Wisdom is calling out. Where is she calling out? Is she calling out from an ivory tower? Is she calling out from the temple? Is she calling out from the schools of deep learning and thought? Now, the, one of the beautiful things about this is she's calling out in the most public of places. She's out on the street corner. She's in the city gate. She's in the marketplace. And so it's like, it's like Lady Wisdom saying, look, I'm standing at Target screaming out at you. I'm walking downtown screaming out at you. I'm, I'm over at Hafer Park and I'm announcing to you there's a way of wisdom because I'm, I'm trying to be anywhere the everyday people of the world are because I want you to know you can turn and you can grow in wisdom. God isn't isolated and off. It's not up in some kind of cloister somewhere. But wisdom comes down into the very streets and talks to each one of us and calls to us and says, no, come in and learn to live a wise life. And that's good news. Um, I think Proverbs, but it's interesting, Proverbs uses a very particular word as we start out on, on our spiritual journey. Um, and it's, a, it's an average term uh, or a strange term kind of to us. And it's, to be honest, it's not very flattering. But it's simple. It just calls you the simple. You're a simpleton. Um, isn't that great? Isn't the way you want to start off coming to church? Is hey, you glorious simpleton, let me get your attention. But that's kind of how Proverbs starts. He starts off with this word. It says, how long, those simple ones, will you love being simple? Now, this, this term simple, it's, it kind of need to unpack it a little bit. But, but Proverbs is saying, this is where we all start out. We all start out simple. In some ways, being simple is... is not completely neutral, but it's a little bit neutral. If you stay as a simple person, if you love being simple, if you love listening to all the words of the world, you eventually become a scoffer, meaning you actually begin to rebuke or reject in, in a bold way the claims of God. A simple person is someone who's sort of just naive and gullible and listens to all the wrong stuff and doesn't ever commit to the Lord. And so this term, as you kind of play, as you kind of work it out, it's, um, it, it, it actually can be good news for us. You know, in a modern world, we, we live in, under something called the myth of genius. We live with this kind of pressure in our world that says, well, there's a few elite geniuses of the world, the Bill Gates, 
the, you know, the entrepreneurs, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the people that they've got this unique grasp on genius that just no one else gets. And because they just have this thing in them, they spontaneously erupt into the, these great places and, and the rest of us are just kind of left out in the cold without that thing, right? And so we kind of live under this myth of genius uh, that, that some people have a capacity for brilliance most of us can never access. But the wisdom of the scriptures is accessible to all. The wisdom goes out in the streets and walks, the, walks into the everyday paths of life and calls all of us to grow in wisdom and to learn that. And as long as you're humble enough to listen, you can become wise, the scriptures say. This isn't just for a genius. And ultimately it points us to a problem. It says that our, pro- our primary problem is not that we're not smart enough. Our primary problem is deeper than that. And so when it talks about this word simple, it comes from a Hebrew word that means to be open. And what it, it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing, I think, especially in our day, uh, because um, what is it we elevate in our day more than being open-minded? Open-minded to anything. Open-minded to any, any moral view. Open-minded to any way of life. Open-minded to any approach. And, and the simple, another translation, this could be those who are uncommitted. Meaning those who don't want to be tied down. Those who want to keep their options open. Those who want ultimate freedom. Um, if, if there's a value in our world that's exalted above everything else, it's personal, individual freedom. That you are the master of your fate and the captain of your soul, and you can do whatever it is you want to do. And so that's the idea that's elevated. And so um, the simple are those who stay open. They stay uncommitted to any path, and they continue. Now, at first glance, it may not seem like that big a deal. We actually admire sometimes that kind of person. They enjoy their freedom. They do as they please. They stay open to all, all viewpoints. And in some ways that looks good. But notice what the problem is. Verse 22 says, how long are simple ones will you love being simple? And I, it's not just that they sort of found themselves in this place, but they actually enjoy it. They actually love the uncommitted life. They love their freedom. They love doing things as they please. They love being uncommitted. And in Proverbs, yeah, this is how um, all of us begin. We begin as the simple who need to learn to fear the Lord and to trust his ways rather than going our own way. And yet our world says, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, go for it. Um, If you identify with that view, embrace it. If it's the cool way of thinking, then share it. And we have all these voices that speak into our lives, don't we? And if we stay simple, if we stay open, if we stay uncommitted to God's way, then we continue to listen to the voices that are there and we continue to embrace all these things and it ultimately leads us to a place of confusion. Proverbs 22.3 says, The wise person sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So the wise person understands that some of these voices are going to lead me to a place of destruction. Some of these voices are going to lead me in a downward spiral. Some of these voices are going to promise things they can't deliver on, and it's going to ultimately, it's ultimately going to be dangerous to me. And so he says the, the wise person hides himself from those places in order to trust, because he trusts the Lord. But the simple, they go on and eventually they suffer for it. They suffer the consequences. The problem's not that we start out as someone who's simple. The problem comes when we love being simple and we continue to run in that direction. And when people refuse the wisdom of God in favor of being open-minded to the silliness of men, they eventually cut themselves off from the true life that God offers. Verse 29 says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Does that sound like another verse we looked at? 
kind of inverse of verse 7, right? He's coming back to that same theme, that motto, that, that main idea of the book of Proverbs. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of his counsel and, or none of wise counsel and none of wise reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and they shall have their fill of their own devices. Do we see that in our world today? Do you see people that have said, I don't want to be committed to the way of the Lord. I want to stay open to whatever ideas come my way. And because those ideas continue to come and continue to call them and continue to invite them down a path, they continue to run down the path. And, they're, and eventually what, what the Lord does, and Romans tells us this too, that the Lord goes, well, if you want to run that way, I guess I'll let you do it. And he lets them continue to run into addiction, into broken relationships, into hardship, into all kinds of pain because it's what they've chosen. And so they eat the fruit of their own way and they get the fill of their own devices. They say, I'm hungry for this. And the Lord says, well, then I'll let you eat. And they fill themselves to the point of being sick. And it causes all kinds of problems. And this is what happens when they reject the way of knowledge and reject the way of the Lord. But there's another path. He says, wisdom says in the next verse, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Friends, if you want the way of a secure life, a way of flourishing and thriving, it ultimately has to come under and through the fear of the Lord, through standing in awe of who he is and listening to his guidance and receiving his wisdom. Verse 7, the source of real knowledge is God, the fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom. And so those who are uncommitted, they never get to the starting line of true wisdom. Uh, the idea of trying to stay open to all the ideas of the world sounds noble on the front end, but ultimately whenever we come around to this, we see that it doesn't lead us to a place of freedom. It actually leads us to a place of bondage. Friends, in our day, it feels cool <clears throat> to have the right opinion on everything, doesn't it? I mean, we, we have this social media world that continues to kind of call to us to enter into these things, and, and I feel it too. But it's, it's cool to take a position. It's cool to speak truth to power. It's cool to stand your ground on your rights. It feels important. It feels superior. It feels essential for me to have a stance on everything in the world because that's the way, the, the way that we're, we're taught we need to live. And whenever anything happens in a world, we're quick to speak and repeat whatever popular messages we hear everyone else repeating. And I think one of the things that we're going to see as we look at Proverbs is, I think Proverbs is calling us to slow down. I think Proverbs is calling us to, to maybe limit the number of inputs because we're committed to one input above all, other, all others. To maybe open our ears, not to every idea, not that we can't sift those and discard them, but that we would weigh them all by the one idea that comes from the Lord of who he is and what he's about so that we might find a better way to live. And I think Proverbs is calling us to commit to God and to his word as the guide for our lives. Because we, we live in a time that we call the information age. And can I just tell you, there's no way you can keep up with it. It's exhausting to me. Someone posted the other day, he said, you know you have permission to close all the browsers you have open of articles you think you should read but you never get to? And I, I literally commented on it. I was like, I feel targeted right now. Because I've always got at least eight articles. I've got like eight sitting on my nightstand that I haven't read in two months. And I printed them out and they're sitting there. I've got eight open on my computer. And I've got a, a laundry list of stuff that I want to read on my, on my, uh, as I scroll through my Twitter feed. 
And you can't keep up with it all. It's not humanly possible. And it's exhausting and it's overwhelming. And even in our work fields, you've got so many inputs and people going, hey, here's another expert. Here's another book you should read. And here's another business leader that you need to stay in touch with. And you need to know this phrase. And you need to be sure you've, you've watched this YouTube and you need to get, get, catch this TED talk. And you need to make like, and you just, it just comes at us nonstop and it's exhausting. Any of you relate to this? Those of you like in the medical profession, those of you that were teachers, like, I don't know how you keep up with it. There, uh, it this is kind of a funny story, but there's a doctor with my exact name at, uh, at the, the hospital here in town. And I started getting all the medical stuff. Somehow they got my name and they started sending me all the medical reports. And so like in my, my email account, I'm constantly getting medical reports of this and this new study and this deal. And I'm like, this is exhausting and I don't care about any of it. Right? And this is the way we live in our world is there's just nonstop information that comes our way and you need some way to sift it because it's not going to lead you to a place of true wisdom and knowledge in how to live. And it's exhausting. And the problem is most of what we read and most of what's there, most of what's spoken to us doesn't actually give you a good plan for living. It doesn't actually show you how to flourish. It doesn't actually bring life your way and show you what life, where life is truly found. Uh, it's interesting to me that the poet T.S. Eliot saw this um, a century ago. He wrote this, he says, where is the life we lost in living? Where is the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we've lost in information? Uh, it's just good stuff. Where have, we, where have we lost, in the midst of all the living we're doing, where have we lost real life? In the midst of all the, the, the words that we hear, where have we lost that which is true knowledge? It happens so quickly. It happens so easily. We're sold promises that, that don't deliver. And we're, we, we've trusted in self. We've trusted in our own ability to navigate these things only to find out that they didn't lead us to the fulfillment we really wanted. In the midst of this, I think, Artists and uh, creatives so often see through the facade, and Eliot saw it. He saw that we're busy, but we're not full of life. And we're full of information, but not necessarily full of wisdom. And so often we give ourselves to the trivial, and we give ourselves to the little things of this world, and to the vapid opinions and views of this world, and they don't bring the flourishing and the nourishment of our souls that we need. And that's what Proverbs is calling us to. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So here's what I want to do this, uh, in this series. I want, to, I want to propose we try something different than simply listening to all the voices in our world. I want to propose that we elevate one voice above all the others, that we stand in awe of the great I am, the one who will be whoever he will be. And we surrender to his voice and we don't live as those who are simple and uncommitted, but we live as those who commit ourselves to walk under his guidance to walk in his worship. And I want to just, I want to just finish with this. And what if we tried an experiment during this series and we did something different at the beginning of every day? Something, just something simple. What if we tried this? What if instead of looking at our phone as the first thing we looked at in the morning, we looked at the Bible? For some of you, that may mean you have to put your phone like in the garage or leave it in your car or somewhere else because you don't know how to breathe without your phone somehow attached to one hand and your thumbs moving on it. But what if the very first thing you did in the morning and you woke up and you said, 
I'm going to turn to the Lord. And you just open up, and whether it's a verse or two verses or a chapter, you just let the very first thought say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to start my day there. And what if over the next eight, eight weeks, we all just tried this experiment together? And we said, I'm going to discipline myself because I want to receive instruction from the God of the universe, the great I am. I want to live my life under his care and under his direction. I want him to be the preeminent thought in my brain. Um, do you guys do that with me? Maybe start that tomorrow. Set your phone somewhere else. Turn it off. Do whatever you got to do. Throw it aside and put a Bible and open it up and say, I'm going to start here today because this is where life is truly found. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Father, I pray that this this might be a, a change in, in who we are. It might lead to our transformation. Father, help us to, to rely upon you as one who's greater than us, who is more holy, more wise, more loving, more kind, more powerful than anything we can, uh, we can imagine. That we might trust you and walk with you, Father, tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We might grow in the way of the wise. Father, for your glory and for our good. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.